Welcome back to Freedom Talks. This is Brady, and today I'm pleased to have Dr. Stephen Bisnan. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of the Clinician Experience Project by Practicing Excellence and is the author of two books, uh, Engaging Physicians, A Manual in Physician Partnership, uh, and Practicing Excellence, A Physician's Manual to Exceptional Healthcare. He's also got an ebook on his website, Practicing Excellence. Um, and today I was hoping to talk about his inspiring work. Um, creating leaders and engaging physicians um, and healthcare workers to create a better patient experience. Uh, Dr. Stephen Beeson, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, and so what I want to start with is just kind of how you got into healthcare and then ultimately what inspired you to get into the research that it took to write both of your books and then eventually to write both those books and kind of get into this space of um, not just practicing family medicine, but uh, inspiring others to create better patient care. Oh, no, for sure. It's certainly never my intent uh, sure. to, to do what I'm doing now. And, and often opportunities arise from sort of accidents, doors that open, you walk through them and you realize you're in a different space doing a different thing. And uh, so for me, I, I mean, I, uh, I see myself as a primary care physician as my principal identity. I uh, went to undergraduate medical school and residency here in San Diego at University of California, San Diego, finished in 1994, joined a large multi-specialty group uh, as part of an integrated healthcare delivery system and really love seeing patients all day, every day on the front line of healthcare and uh, seeing sort of the constellation of symptoms and creating differential diagnoses and testing against it and issuing treatment plans and watching patients uh, get better, hopefully. And around 2001, I was tapped on the shoulder by our, the leadership of our medical group uh, with a request to become sort of a physician coach, uh, if you will. Uh, now there's a lot of physician coaches, but back then that was a novel idea. And we had sort of bottom decile patient experience. We had pretty high physician attrition and we had some financial challenges and just some cultural opportunities to become better for our patients and better for our teams. And in a very competitive uh, region with lots of big healthcare systems competing for the same patients. So uh, I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> at that time. And I sort of embraced the idea of coaching, training, developing and engaging clinicians and really became a student of what prompts clinicians to go from uh, sort of backseat, arms crossed, kicking the ground, and medicine is not what I thought it was going to be, to uh, front seat healthcare leaders, influencers, and becoming everything that they hoped and imagined uh, healthcare would be. And I'm still certainly a student in that process, but sound, found some really amazing things uh, happen as a result of coaching and developing clinicians. And one was, uh, that clinicians are being held accountable for a whole bunch of super important skills that nobody ever taught us. You know, how to facilitate patient participation in their care, um, how to respond to patient struggle, how to deliver bad news, how to leverage your influence to make the people in your clinical microsystem better, how to use encouragement for patients, um, how to explain a medication and a diagnosis to and affirm their understanding, uh, how to be a great colleague to our 
clinician colleagues, how to recognize and appreciate and coach and develop the people around. I mean, these are just like super important skills that when clinicians do these things, patients see it and their team says, I love coming to work with that clinician. And, and a lot of those things are measured. I mean, things like patient experience and staff interaction and peer review. And I found in my coaching process that clinicians had no idea why patients said what they said about them. And they were held accountable for stuff that they had never learned. And, and the idea of giving them and provisioning simple skills to make a big difference uh, was profoundly impactful for how patients saw care. Meaning patients would say, gosh, this is really great care. Everybody I know, love and care about has got to come here for their care. And the clinicians more importantly would say, I'm super proud of who I am in that exam room. And that patient gave me affirmation that I'm making a meaningful impact and listening and caring and delivering clinical excellence. And I'm, this is what I thought medicine was going to be. And so the idea that coaching was working, it was restorative for clinicians, uh, really uh, lit a fire in me to say, how do we, how do we bring this to more uh, clinicians? And uh, eventually our group over the course of a number of years went from bottom decile to top decile. Um, we had a significant drop in attrition and improvement of our financials. And that was the work of many, many people trying to make our group better. Uh, and I began to crack my laptop at night after my kids were in bed, start to write down the things that were working. And um, I never intended to become an author, but there was so much clear process regarding how do you assess coachability? How do you identify what the, co what the physician wants to become? How do you provision guidance to allow them to become their best? And how do you provide feedback in a way that's helpful and constructive? How do you encourage and recognize and appreciate the things that are going well? And how do you create a sustainable coaching model where at the end of it, the clinicians come back, come out and say, not only am I crushing it with patients behind the exam room door, but they're delivering big time outcomes for the organization. Uh, and, and so I've spent my life now, uh, more recently, coaching other organizations and now founding uh, technology powered clinician coaching in what we call the Clinician Experience Project. And uh, in fact, just before this podcast, I was recording coaching tips <laughs> for <laughs> clinicians. So, that, so that's my that's my story in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of where it all came from. Well, through that process, I find it fascinating that you were able to say, I I obviously can't convey my message and what I've learned through these. Obviously, the writing of your books and being a coach yourself. But then you were like, how can we create a platform where we can? Uh, create better leaders and better organizations through, again, technology, which, you know, everybody seems in the past five years to have found some way for technology to affect uh, patient experience and healthcare in a positive mm -hmm. and profound way. Um, what, what is that? What was it like creating a, your own company? What was it like creating the technology and the platform? Yeah. So like many ideas, uh, it started in Starbucks. <laughs> and I remember almost the exact day and I remember where I was sitting and I was sitting with a buddy of mine and it was around 2013. And at that time we'd been doing the coaching for over a decade and it was clearly working. Uh, and there was a strong desire to help and support and develop the people in healthcare to render the skills, to deliver meaningful outcomes. Uh, I'd written both books and um, I thought, gosh, you know, at the same time, coaching is really time intensive. It's tough to scale. It's hard to get synchronicity with everybody learning from the same source code at the same time. And as I was sipping on a iced chai, I thought, well, 
what if we had technology that could help help syndicate and power learning and clinician interaction and build it in a way that clinicians could do it in a few minutes a week where we could track progress, we could render CME, we could, you know, make comments and exchange ideas. And, you know, it was all, it was all sort of blue sky at that point. I had no, I was not a technologist, <laughs> nor am I now, but, but I knew that, that it needed some jet fuel uh, and to provide scale. Uh, and, and, and so sort of wireframe the idea of, of, what the platform might be. In fact, I still have a book here in my office with all the sketches <laughs> and you know, kind of what the mission and, and vision of it would be and, and actually approached my health system, uh, which is Sharp Healthcare. And I said, I've got this idea of this coaching, training and development that we've had great success here at Sharp. Uh, what if we were to create this as an offering to healthcare in general to help develop the clinician skills to allow them to drive meaningful outcomes for patients and themselves and their teams and their organizations. And they said, that's a, that's a good idea. I mean, there's a lot more, much more diligence to it than that. Sure. <laughs> eventually, eventually they said, that's a good idea. So they actually funded the idea, uh, hired a team and uh, that was 2014 and began to build a process with a technology uh, team and gosh, uh, made about seven or eight near fatal errors along the way because building a new product in a new market that's highly distracted and and really preoccupied we had to figure out and iterate and listen to the market on what were the things that could offer really compelling value to the clinicians and organizations that eventually became what is now an app uh, to uh, to provide micro learning approaches to drive outcomes for organizations and you know, we've been now we're now we have tens of thousands of clinicians from some of the health best healthcare systems in the nation, but it wasn't always like that because there's a lot of learning and failing uh, along the way to say that works and that doesn't work and try not to run out of money during that process, which is hard to do. Well, so. once once you found out eventually what worked and you started being able to kind of get this out to a lot of different healthcare groups. Uh, what is it about the app that um, helps organization create good leaders and good physicians? Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the key, as with almost any successful initiative, uh, it's about the readiness of the organization. If an organization says, uh, we're going to put a stake in the ground regarding creating a place where people love coming to work, where we retain our talent, and we're incredibly well-led, we're highly collaborative, and our patients say, I wouldn't go anywhere else for my healthcare. If they're all in on that, you know, we wanna create a culturally rich place that is delivering patient connectivity, team collaboration, and highly effective leaders, then uh, we would love to have conversations with them. And then once they decide that, then it's about leadership support, uh, meaning the messaging, and modeling and communication of a leadership team is a signal to a healthcare system whether something is important to do or not. So, and so we, it's about gaining leadership buy-in that this is a worthy effort. And it, it's incumbent upon us to say, what happens to the organization when we create a place where patients uh, have profound loyalty and advocacy in the community? What happens to a place where clinicians say, I'm gonna stay here for life and your staff say, 
they're paying 50 cents an hour more down the street, but I consider this place to be my family and I'm really growing here and I'm super proud of who we are. And I love the people that I work with and the people who are leading are practicing leadership skills that prompt people around them to become their best. Uh, It's incumbent upon us to say, what is the ROI and business case for that? Sure. Um, And in my mind, it's, it's, a no brainer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 10 times more expensive to go get a new patient than it is to keep the patient you currently have. Yes. And outward migration of the employed physician model on a per physician basis is about $750,000 per year. Patients just voluntarily leaving and getting care outside of a network. That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing to subsidize if mm-hmm. the care that you provide is such that the patients go, ah, I'm going to go to my old doctor. I'm going to go to my old my other physical therapist, right? Yep. <laughs> my, my other my other cardiologist, my other OBGYN, they're just not that great here. And and the cost of, you know, losing one physician will pay for, you know, the development of all of your clinicians for three years. I mean, it's just, I, I mean, it's just stupid math. And so once the leadership team embraces it, then we deploy uh, what we call programmatic offerings, meaning we identify what do you want to achieve? And I, the, uh, we, we ask the organization, what are your priorities? And we map what we call programs to those, which programs are sequences of progressive skills done at five minutes per week uh, to, uh, to deliver outcomes. And we measure uh, use analytics and uh, engagement analytics and pre and post uh, metric outcomes. Um, and we apply a, an applied learning method that we call learn, try, share, uh, where these are micro learning coaching videos on two minutes at a time on how to knock on the door and, and uh, how, do we, how do we do the basic elements of care interaction that prompts patients to say uh, you're the best. And we provision that over the course of a few minutes a week uh, and encourage them to apply those skills and tell the story of what happened when those things happened. And, and we use a sort of an implementation roadmap to allow that to manifest. And um, we now have 10 case studies of, of impact and are super excited about what happens when we help and support um, clinicians and teams and leaders with skills to allow them to, to soar. Uh, so what those leadership teams, are they generally made up of physicians? I know a lot of the, the the things that you've talked about when I was doing some research was engaging as many physicians as possible and kind of getting their buy-in um, to a lot of this because ultimately um, if, if they're not involved and they're kind of getting handed down some of these mandates, you generally see burnt out physicians right. and uh, not as much buy-in. Do you have you know examples of that or uh, yeah. generally a good experience is, is what you found or? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's about how it's framed. Uh, by the leadership team. So we give them, we help support language that is effective in pulling physicians in. And to give you some examples of what not to do. Hey, doctors, we got this thing for you. It's an app for help to help you improve your patient experience scores. Could you log in and all your free time and watch videos? As opposed to, we always encourage leaders to go first and to learn skills of impact for their teams. So let's say a leader learns how to um, 
express hope and belief and a growth mindset and their language and cues and learn specific skills of bringing hope and belief to their team or acknowledgement and appreciation, encouragement of their teams. All those are really important leader skills and they deploy those skills. And then they see the impact of what happens and they harvest the story of what they had been through. And they stand in front of their teams with great vulnerability and a servant mindset to say, I will ask nothing of you that I don't do myself first. And I want to tell you my story of what I learned, what I tried and the impact that it created. And when, when clinicians are introduced and they begin to use skills with patients in the exam room or with teammates, they invariably will have an experience that says, wow, when I ask patients, what about all that they're going through right now worries them the most? Um, the patient gave me a trove of information that I never would have seen had I not tried this. Um, this is a game changer. I wish I would have learned this 15 years ago. And the, that sort of testimony of the clinician speaking up about what they learned, what they tried and the impact that it had on them uh, and to invite their colleagues to, to participate is the methodology we use of pull, not push. Um, and there's a, there's a pandemic of bullhorn top-down leadership in healthcare, uh, which is with physicians, incredibly ineffective and often disengages them from the very behaviors we need to improve the metric that we're trying to improve. I mean, it's, it's how, it's how to get them to, to get the backseat, complain and throw rocks at you. Do you know why that is in particular, where that stems from when obviously the research that you've done has shown the exact opposite? Right. That's a really great question. And I think that there is, uh, there is such profound pressure on healthcare leaders to deliver value, to reduce clinical variation, bend the cost curve, improve patient experience, uh, or whatever their um, metrics are. There's so much progressive transparency and pressure and accountability for those that the idea of I'm going to embrace and engage my team to actively participate and commit to this cause, as opposed to I'm going to grab my bullhorn. <laughs> they're 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 acting in response to the highly regulated environment that we have that it does not bring the best of people. It does not access discretionary effort, and it can frustrate on um, both the leader and the clinician and the care team. Uh, and and so our ability to first engage our teams to want to participate in achieving something that matters deeply to them. So improving patient experience scores is going to make clinicians want to barf. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if, yep. you, if you use that phrase, right. I mean, it's, but the idea of kindness and compassion and understanding and participation with every patient as our personal commitment is deeply connecting with every clinician I know about what their value system is. So a leader has to speak clinician in terms of what their value system is and what they care about and, and not use a regulatory banner or a metric as somehow our objective. And because when we do that, that's not our value system. And it makes us think to ourselves, this is not at all what I thought healthcare was going to be and what medicine was gonna be. And, and why we're seeing close to 50% of all clinicians you know, burned out now. I mean, it's, it's a lot of it is how organizations are being led. 
and, and that's part of uh, sh- the shared purpose that you've you've talked about before on other platforms about creating that that environment. Uh, is that correct? Yes, yes. And, and a lot of how we facilitate that, particularly the coaching context, is one of the if I'm coaching uh, a clinician one on one, which is different than enterprise app powered coaching of programs and people going together with synchronicity and certification. That's a, that's a, that's a different endeavor. Um, but individual coaching has a role as well. It's hard to scale. Uh, but sometimes you need more nuance and more depth. Uh, but when I'm coaching one-on-one, then, uh, one of the first questions I'll ask a clinician is tell me what kind of clinician you want to become. And, and they have very diverse answers, but incredibly consistent answers. And they want to be difference makers, impact makers. They want to be trusted colleagues. They want to be clinically excellent. They want to, they want to see and feel and be the clinician that they thought they're going to be, that they sacrificed so much for. So, uh, and I'm just, you know, we're just here to help them become what they want for themselves. So getting into kind of the coaching and, and what makes you so good at what you do as a coach, and then obviously what led to all of your ideas for uh, kind of broadening and expanding and being able to give that to, to large organizations all at once. What, what characteristics do you think you had going into that that made you such a good leader? Oh, boy, I, have, I don't really have any idea. I, <laughs> I, I, I would have to say... I would have to say that my my uh, my approach and ability to leverage people is uh, my real passion for this, and and a lot of it comes from a personal experience. I mean, I, I was when I was selected uh, to be a, a coach for our clinicians. I was at a I was at a tough spot myself. I mean, I had when I went into medicine. Um, that was inspired by my uncle after I would graduated from high school, at which time I wanted to be a musician, a trumpet player. So I, I had, I spent time with my uncle and he's an amazing, amazing uh, neurologist. And he introduced me to the notion of caring for people to make them better. And so I naively, you know, defined my success by my ability to diagnose, treat and cure disease. And I love that idea. And uh, what I found after sacrificing your entire youth <laughs> in the hospital, in the classroom, doing your preclinical, clinical years and then residency training is that, you know, between chronic disease and functional disease and self-limited disease and made up disease and terminal disease, the ability to diagnose, treat and cure disease was a very small portion of the time. And I thought to myself, this isn't at all what I thought it was going to be. I was managing fibromyalgia and type two diabetes and hypertension and hyperlipidemia and metabolic. I mean, do you name it? It was stuff that I I felt like I was an incrementalist at best. Mm -hmm. And a lot of time just, you know, palliation and symptom management. And I felt like, golly, this is, this is not what I thought. And I thought I, I accrued debt for this. I, you give up everything for this and you miss a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I remember uh, one story in particular um, that, that changed my perspective on this. I had a, a young boy that came in to see me and this is around the time that I was tapped on the shoulder uh, to lead this endeavor. 
uh, this young boy came in, 15 year old with sore with a sore throat. And he, uh, uh, he was clearly a viral syndrome, you know, no adenopathy, no exudate, no fever. And he came over with his mom and he was, so, you know, 15 year olds are, they stare at the ground and they mumble stuff. And anyway, he was doing that. So I, I interacted with him a little bit and I did my clinical evaluation in maybe five minutes. I swabbed my throat. So they felt as though I'd done something. I was pretty sure it was viral though. And so I asked him, I said, uh, where do you go to high school? And he said that he went to Poway High School, which is my alma mater, because I practiced in the uh, area where I grew up. And so we had that in common. Then I asked him, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he just stared at the ground and didn't say anything. He was sitting on the exam table, arm crossed, his mother sitting to his right. It's a super awkward pause. <laughs> his, mo his mom finally kicks him and says, would you tell him? And he mumbles, staring at the ground. Um, I want to be a doctor. And I thought to myself, you got the personality for it. <laughs> so, anyway, so anyway, I told them about getting into medical school and your short coat, your long coat, your boards, your rounding and all that. I, I'd spent maybe a minute or two tops telling about the life of becoming a clinician. And then I left. I didn't think anything of it. And I get a call from the mom the next day. And uh, she wanted to thank me. So my nurse answered before a call center. She, she answers and my nurse says, uh, that boy's mom that you saw yesterday for the sore throat, she wants to thank you for them, something. And I thought to myself, literally, did I give him an antibiotic? Because that's why I thought she would thank me, right? <laughs> I, I pick up the phone and the mother says to me, Dr. B said, I wanna thank you. I wanna thank you for rescuing my son. And she told me about her son who was a bright, young, ambitious kid who had fallen into this abyss of depression. And they had tried everything, a homeschool, psychologist, psychiatrist, they were shattered that they had lost their son. And she says to me, for the first time in two years, he is back talking about his future, viral pharyngitis. And I realized in that moment that we can sometimes diagnose, treat, and cure disease, but our capacity, our ability to make profound impact is there every single patient. And so fueled by that illumination, uh, I began to learn myself and teach myself and, and see and experience myself what it was like to go from simply a technician that diagnoses and treats disease or a technician with incredible impact making skills to make the lives of those that we serve better, what it felt like for me. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely beneficial for patients, but what it was like for me. And I thought, this is how medicine should be. And, and also the empowering message that we have dominion over who we are in that exam room. I mean, that's, that's, who we are and what we do and what, you know, and so what it feels like to be able to have control over that. Uh, we have control over what kind of teammate we are. We have control over what kind of leader we are. So we don't have to wait for medicine to be fixed. There's a lot of things wrong with it. Sure. Um, there's a lot of things we need to make better, but we can, we can forge ahead by impacting the lives of patients uh, by, you know, collaborating with our teammates and leading to bring the best of others. And um, a lot of it was a very personal sort of story uh, for me. 
and, and what brought this all around. I mean, that's, that's inspiring just as a single story, but the fact then that you've been able to scale this to the, to the, it, make the impact that you have so far and that you will do has got to get you up every morning. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's super fun and uh, it's remarkably challenging. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of despair mm-hmm. in healthcare. Okay. Uh, this beautiful sacred healing profession has gotten its butt kicked um, particularly during COVID. And uh, I, I'm, you know, despite the fact that I believe that patient connectivity, team collaboration and effective leadership are the wind that will allow us to get through this. And at the end of it, say, I'm glad I did it. Um, I, I'm under no illusions that it's hard right now. It's really hard. Um, but uh, I have great optimism that connecting and collaborating and leading uh, allow us to uh, to live the kind of life that we sacrifice so much for. So I've got maybe just like a, a two-part question here. So do you see this being potentially uh, transferable to uh, other healthcare professions other than just physicians? Um, and then B, what kind of are the differences that you could see causing issues or just the differences in general? Like the one that I'm thinking of currently is like, you know, if we did um, a certain kind of leadership training for our physical therapists, right? Mm-hmm. It's It might be slightly different because of just purely the time that, uh, you know, a physical therapist might spend over the course of, you know, eight to 10 treatments than, you know, physicians potentially having a little less time with how overloaded they are with patients. Um, and then obviously not the number of visits normally. Um, just what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a great question and I don't know the definitive answer, but I can tell you that, that we have a number of our organizations, uh, now we have built content for staff and nursing and clinicians in our what we call our ambulatory patient experience program and allowed all of them to learn role specific uh, skills synchronously. Um, meaning uh, the, the first six skills, each of which have four to six coaching tips inside them are building rapport, conveying compassion, building confidence, confidence, listening well and closing and finishing strong uh, and explaining care. So I, and so each, each team member learns in their microlearning tips uh, how to do those things according to their role. So uh, to answer your question, um, there are certain things that are transcendent that all people who touch patients should be doing. Physical therapists, social workers, uh, pharmacists, you know, empathy for patients, for example. Um, and I always, when I coach care team members, I always say empathy is just envisioning what it must be like for a patient under those circumstances and act accordingly. Okay. You know, it's just, it's just, you know, they're going through, they've gotten a new diagnosis. They've got new ridiculous back pain. They're just paralyzed with pain. They can't get back to work. They're in in an hourly position. They don't have, you know, disability coverage. They don't have health insurance. They're pure 1099. They're keeping the roof over their family's head and they can't work because their back is just incredibly painful. And, and the physical therapists that interface with that, it's really important that they envision, holy crap, 
this guy's got, <laughs> got a lot of weight on this. Um, and, and just the signal and the behaviors of this team is the best. We've done this a thousand times. You're under the best of care. And we're going to initiate a protocol that I really, really am confident we're going to be able to get things turned around. And we're here for you. And I can't imagine how hard this time is. And we're going to do all we can to get your life back. That, that's a really powerful signal for people to walk on and go, oh, God, at least they care about me, you know, and <laughs> yeah. they're really capable. And so those are, you know, things like listening effectively. I mean, you guys take histories and, you know, gathering the differential and, and how you want to, you know, what kind of manipulations you want to do, what kind of traction, what kind of ultrasound treatments, all that sort of stuff is about, you know, the nuance of the history. So effective listening. So a lot of those things are transcendent, but I do think that there's some role specific uh, uh, things that we're developing, um, not for physical therapists necessarily, but sure. I would even put physical therapist in the same category as a clinician, because you're interfacing directly, counseling directly, listening directly, building rapport directly. I would say I would, without any issue at all, put a team of physical therapists through the clinician program, because- okay. It, because it's it's about listening, building rapport, building confidence, explaining things effectively, and 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 all those things. You guys are probably better than we are actually <laughs> at that stuff. <laughs> the literature on clinicians is not super solid in terms of how well we. Do I stuff. yeah, phys- I would say our physical therapists are pretty uh, normally pretty, pretty outgoing uh, pe- people to begin with. Maybe a little bit well, different uh, demeanor. Well, I can tell you that you know having made many. Uh, thousands of referrals of physical therapy over 20 years that patients every single time come back and just talk about your people. I mean, and I know we're in different States, but, uh, they come back, they go, ah, they were so great, so helpful. And, you know, and say such glowing things. And that's not always what happens when people come back from a specialist, (laughs) not every time. Sometimes they do, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not 100% of the time for sure. All right. Well, I'm not going to keep you too much longer, but I do want to make sure that you can uh, pitch everything that you have going on right now. Um, you, I know you, we can buy both your books on Amazon. Uh, again, Engaging Physicians, a Manual in Physici- uh, Physician Partnership and Practicing Excellent of Physicians, Manual to Exceptional Healthcare. And they can find you at practicingexcellence.com. And we will link that in uh, the show description. Um, is there anything else you've got going on or, or any, uh, closing thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? You know, I would say for those that are in healthcare, um, if, if you're not, if Sunday night is tough for you, meaning, oh my God, I got to go in tomorrow, (laughs) you know, healthcare shouldn't be that way. Uh, and I encourage you to reflect on, uh, the very good things that we have an opportunity to do. Um, I would make note. Uh, and even there's value in writing good things that happen at night before you go to bed and, and register those uh, every night because amazing things and amazing opportunities are in healthcare. And I would encourage people to define the best of our profession uh, and, and you know, take ownership of making this great healing life that we're in uh, better if it's not for you that right now. Um, and, and certainly, you know, we love helping organizations um, support, de- develop their people so their, their people can make an impact in the lives of patients in addition to having a really fulfilled, purposeful, 
uh, uh, clinical life, which we believe is the only option uh, in this profession. <laughs> so that, that's my story. And my, my email, if you have any curiosities, uh, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N at practicingexcellence.com. Always happy to uh, chat with folks. Well, it's been certainly inspiring and illuminating. Um, and I think that's amazing. That's an amazing sentiment. And um, have you have you seen um, a, a lot of practicing physicians potentially come back from being burnt out? We have. Uh, and in fact, we had done a, a case control study uh, showing that the intervention of coaching, training, and development has all domain impact on patient experience. And our secondary outcome was Maslow burnout reduction, and it had more profound impact on burnout reduction. Uh, so, which is exactly what we felt sort of qualitatively, just observing what happened when you coached and developed clinicians to make meaningful impact moments with patients and colleagues uh, and teammates. So, um, yeah, a whole bunch of them, myself included. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. That's amazing. I, um, Dr. Sir, uh, Dr. Beeson, it's been uh, a pleasure to speak with you. Um, it was, it was a really fun podcast to do. So thank you so much for coming on. That was fun, fun for me too, Brady. Thanks. This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services providing one-on-one comprehensive physical and occupational therapy services, including women's health, chronic pain treatment, TMJ, and more. With four locations in Fox Point, Grafton, Brookfield, and McGuanago, Wisconsin. More information at freedompt.com.